Alejandro Mayorkas was impeached. More massive funding is going to Ukraine. A California Democrat wants a huge increase in the minimum wage. New York is at capacity. And the guy that is credited with inventing the Pop-Tart has passed away. That and a whole lot more on today's Random Thoughts. Hello and welcome to episode number 263 of the Random Thoughts podcast that is spelled R-A-N-D-U-M-B, thoughts.com online. I am your host, Darren O'Neill, and there is plenty going on in the world, and depending on the source where you get your news, you may be completely seeing things in a different way. Dimension A, Dimension B, talked about it quite a bit on this show, talked about Bill O'Reilly saying people are going to believe what they want to believe. It seems with social media and all of the communication tools we have at our disposal, that concept is only getting further and further ingrained because when I was growing up, we heard about things like conspiracy theories but they really were fringe and you didn't really know who believed in these kind of crazy things. And okay. Some of the conspiracy theories every now and then turn out to be true, but overall not most of them, but the internet, social media, they give people places to go to be like, Oh no, I found the information. I have proof right here. Whether it's things about aliens, whether it's things about vaccines, whether it's things about whatever, and I'm not saying there aren't problems with the vaccines, but there is plenty of information on the internet that is completely not vetted by anybody that knows what they're doing. I thought everybody already knew, wants anybody with a couple of bucks and not even a lot could buy a domain name, put up a website, constantly see people linking to news sources. And I'll put that in air quotes for all of you watching on the video feed that doesn't exist. They put up the news and be like, oh, no, well, this is proof because somebody else said it. Not understanding that people lie, people make things up intentionally sometimes and sometimes because they are just misguided. But this is why we have such a divided society right now where almost equal parts, if you want to break this down to a very simple metric, about half the country blames the Republicans here in the United States and about half blames the Democrats for everything that's going wrong in the world at this particular point. And that is an oversimplistic view which is why you need to try to dig deeper and get facts behind things. One of the big stories this week is that the House of Representatives has, in fact, impeached after failing to do this once. 
They have impeached Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. The vote was 214 to 213. And you know what that means? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Very similar to the Trump impeachments. Means absolutely nothing. Completely politically motivated. In this case, it's pretty clear that it was completely politically motivated by the Republicans in the House. And they were doing it to make a point. This was the first cabinet member, I believe, to be impeached since the late 1800s. So it's been a while. And we know that the Senate is not Republican controlled. And since this is completely political, everybody knows that the Senate is not going to convict. So this was done just to make the news cycle. This was done just so you and I would hear about it. This was done for no reason beyond playing politics, which is getting very, very tiring because it doesn't matter which side is doing it. The end result is not helping anybody that lives in the United States or anywhere else in the world. 214 to 213, that's how close this was to make a point. The two articles of impeachment allege that Mayorkas' handling of the southern U.S. border crisis involved both a, quote, breach of trust, end quote, and a, quote, willful in systemic refusal to comply with the law, end quote. And I agree with that. But Mayorkas is just a soldier who is taking orders from the people above him on the chain, including President Joe Biden, who with, I mean, I know this isn't Joe Biden saying this because it's way too comprehensively understandable, but the quote that was put out from the Biden White House as saying this was Joe in the statement says, quote, history will not look kindly on House Republicans for their blatant act of unconstitutional partisanship that has targeted an honorable public servant in order to play petty political games, end quote. <laughs> I haven't heard Joe say anything that eloquent in a decade or so. And it's hilarious because anybody following along knows that the Democrat Republic, uh, the Democrat Republicans, no, the House Democrats did exactly the same thing to Donald Trump. This is no different. Absolutely not different at all. It's all a big, stupid time wasting game that they try to use as political one-upsmanship. I'd be curious, Mr. President, what part of doing this was unconstitutional? Now, when he says it's an act of unconstitutional partisanship, does that mean being a partisan is unconstitutional? So, I mean, whoever is even writing the quotes for Joey, maybe we're giving them too much credit for being understanding for I really this is the perfect time to butcher a line when you're trying to but when you're trying to go after somebody for not getting the English language correctly. But in this case, when you say it's an act of unconstitutional partisanship, 
well, is it an unconstitutional act or is it unconstitutional partisanship? And if it's unconstitutional to be partisan, well, then we got a lot of problems with the politicians in the United States. Both sides are doing the exact same thing. And then they're pointing the finger at the other one saying, bad, you bad, you bad. And we all lose. We all lose. Just like we all lose with all of this funding of foreign wars. To where I disagree with big Bill O'Reilly, who's like, oh, you have to keep funding Ukraine because you can't let Putin win. For how long? Where's the end? Where's the limit? This is like buying a 1972 Dodge Dart and being like, I'm just going to keep fixing it up. I don't care what it costs. I could buy a brand new car. I mean, granted, the new cars might be electric and suck. But let's just imagine you could buy a good car. No, I mean, you keep putting money in the old one. Or you have a house that's literally falling down. And you're like, well, I can fix it up for $5.3 million. And somebody's like, well, you can buy the same quality of house, like three doors down the, for 500000 Well, no, no, I want to keep throwing money. Keep throwing money. Keep throwing money. That's what we're doing. So I want to know where the limit is. I want to know where the line is. I want to know when do we get to the point that says, you know what? We can't afford to keep throwing cash at this. In this case, another $60 billion, I believe, going to Ukraine. $60 billion. I did the simple math. I mean, I know there's a lot of people in this country right now illegally. But there's about 337 million people as of the last count in the United States, men, women, children, trolls of all ages. That is $178 per person that's being sent to Ukraine. So if you're a family of four, it's about $800 in taxes that are going to come out of your pocket eventually. In one way, shape, or form. Do you think the government's not taking that money from you? Where do you think it's coming from? So when the government spends $60 billion on anything, it's $178 out of the pocket of every person in America, even those who were just born, even those in first grade. You better tell that kid to go make a salary, man, because Joey Biden. And all the, really, the Democrats all do it. The Republicans, a lot of them do it. A lot of big spenders. But when you see the government spending $60 billion and in your head, you're like, I can't even wrap my head around $60 billion. Who cares? What is it? What's the difference? What does it matter? $178 per person. If the government came to your door right now, it's like, we need $178 per person for Ukraine. Oh, wait, Grandma, Uncle Joe, you're all over here. Okay, we need $178 per person. Come on. You think people are just going to hand that over? But we don't pay attention to it because it's like, yeah, it doesn't even seem like real money. $60 billion. It's absolutely insane. I don't even care which side you're on when it comes to Russia, Ukraine. There has to be an answer of when is it too much? When do you pull the cord? and get out of a bad situation that is dragging on and on and on. The United States, overall, not a great track record. Could we say Vietnam? Spending a lot of money to get nothing out of it. Could we say going after Saddam Hussein? Where's those weapons of mass destruction? Billions and billions of dollars. And it comes out of our pockets. And what is the end result? 
Do I feel that the world is safer because we're fighting Russia and Putin in Ukraine? Not really. Don't think it makes that big of a difference. And I think that the people that use the logic that, well, if you let him have part of Ukraine, then he's going to go after Poland, then he's going to do this, then he's going to do that, doesn't really hold a whole lot of water. Maybe I'm totally wrong. Maybe that's exactly what would happen. But if you saw any of the two-hour interview that Tucker Carlson did with Vladimir Putin, he seemed to have a story. I mean, I don't know. He could be a liar. Could all be made up. Could all be scripted. But he seemed to have a pretty good story, including about a 30-minute history lesson of Russia that was way, way, way more comprehensive than you would get from almost anybody in the United States about the history of the United States. And Russia, their history goes back way more. But Putin had the history, and he explained why these areas are Russian, why the people there are Russian. And again, I don't know if everything that he said checks out. There are people, I'm sure, fact-checking the heck out of the Tucker Carlson Putin speech interview whatever you want to call it. People are like, well, Tucker Carlson didn't interrupt him enough. Well, this is what you do with a world leader that doesn't get interviewed a lot, that can stop the interview at any time. Putin and Tucker sat there for over two hours, which to me was kind of impressive. And there wasn't a lot of pushback, but there were some interesting questions. There were some interesting moments. Like when Tucker Carlson said, yeah, that uh, Wall Street Journal guy who totally not a spy or Tucker just because he worked for the Wall Street Journal. You know, when when are you going to let him out? When are you going to let him out of jail? And Putin let out a big sigh and he's like, well, there are people that are working on this. And we have given the benefit of the doubt multiple times and don't get reciprocation, which seems to be fairly accurate. Maybe I'm missing something. Also found it interesting when Putin said that George Bush, the younger. Paraphrasing, but he basically said he's a lot smarter than most people give him credit for, understood what was going on in the world much better than people gave him credit for. And I also thought it was interesting when he took a jab, Putin did at Tucker Carlson. When asking about who blew up the Nord Stream pipeline. And he said, like, well, you. And Tucker's like, wait, I have I have a perfectly perfectly good alibi. And Putin made a little jab, like, well, no, I mean the CIA, which, you know, I heard you couldn't get into. Again, paraphrasing. But Putin, it seemed like he had done his homework on Tucker. He had done his homework on the United States. He knew how many trillions of dollars over $33 trillion debt the United States has going on now. And he asked, really, why do you want to be here? Why do you want to be sending money here? Is this doing what? How are your people benefiting? And I'm not really sure that they are. But one of the most telling things, and again, maybe Putin is a compulsive liar. Maybe he is just a master manipulator. But he told a story of a Ukrainian bunch of soldiers, a troop that was captured. They were surrounded, let's say. They weren't captured. They were surrounded by the Russian army. 
And the Russian army said to him, hey, surrender, come out. You will not be harmed. We will not kill you. Just surrender. And the response from the Ukrainian army, according to Vladimir Putin, was we are Russians and Russians do not give up. And they didn't. And they were all killed. But if that's truly the mentality of even people in the Ukrainian army, that they are in fact Russian and this is some kind of civil war, it puts a whole different light on everything that is going on there. I mentioned when this whole thing started, well, not the whole thing started, it goes back hundreds of years, but when this recent skirmish started, when Russia decided they were going into Ukraine, a lot of the refugees that are like, we got to get out of Ukraine, went into Russia. And I think that says a lot. This is way more complex than most people want to give it credit for. It seems to be a civil war more than anything else, at least to my very non-understanding brain. And with another $60 billion, another $178 per person in the United States to fund this, why? That would be the question that I still haven't had answered because Putin might do more things because China might do something if they see Russia's being allowed to do something. You're getting into a very, very bad situation when you're like, we have to do this, otherwise this is going to happen or this is going to happen. Treat everything individually and try to understand why this stuff is happening. Because a lot of this, it just most people have no idea why they hear $60 billion and they have no idea how much money that is. And they're like, well, that's not coming out of my pocket. Oh, it is. This is why when you go to the grocery store, this is why when you put gas in your car, this is why when you do anything, prices are going up, up, up. Taxes are being raised so all of this can be paid for. Now, speaking of things that can be paid for, the insanity in California knows very few bounds. And we have a Democratic representative, Barbara Lee, in California, who wants to raise the minimum wage in California right now. I believe it is $16 or $17 in California, and it varies throughout the country. Some places in the country are still the federal minimum wage is still at $7.25 an hour. That's the national minimum wage. So if you're out in the middle of nowhere in Wyoming, yeah, it's probably your minimum wage, $7.25. But Democratic Congresswoman Barbara Lee wants, not just for California, she wants a federal minimum wage across the country of $50 an hour. Talk about not understanding economics. Talk about not understanding money. Talk about not understanding the minimum wage in the first place. Ryan Bemrose and I on a show I do called Grumpy Old Ben's broke this down years ago and took an in-depth look at the minimum wage 
why it was created. And the people in the administration at the time, I believe it was the Woodrow Wilson administration, were racists who didn't want the uneducated black and brown people to be in the workforce. They thought they should be pretty much slaves to the government. And they knew that raising the minimum wage, as you raise the minimum wage, the more people that have skills get those lower paying jobs because the lower paying jobs are all of a sudden pretty good paying jobs. $50 an hour is absolutely insane. And uh, Representative Lee is running for the Senate to fill the seat of the late Democratic Senator Diane Feinstein. And she's arguing Californians can't get by on less than 100000 a year due to the state's cost of living crisis. Well, that seems to be your crisis. Why don't you fix what's going on there that is making the prices of everything skyrocket where they are? She was asked, this was from a Daily Mail article, I believe, during a debate on Monday in the Senate, how her $50 an hour minimum wage proposal would be economically sustainable for small businesses. And she claimed that she had been a small business owner who, quote, created hundreds of jobs, end quote, and argued that employees need to be taken care of and have, quote, a living wage, end quote. She said, just do the math. Just do the math. Well, I'm doing the math, Ms. Lee. I am doing the math, and the math doesn't work. Right now, the minimum wage in California is, in fact, $16 an hour. So if you're having a uh, hot dog stand, pizza joint, it's easiest to do this with places that serve fast food because you can see how quickly this will get out of control. If you have a little mom and pop store, that little shop that sells burgers, hot dogs, and that kind of thing, right now they're forced to pay even the lowliest employee who has zero skills $16 an hour. Let's just assume the little place has 10 employees. You got a couple people cooking, got a couple people working the counter, you got a couple people cleaning, making sure everything's in good shape. Well, instead of for those 10 people working, instead of $160 for those 10 people at $16 an hour, then you go, uh, let's see, 10 times 50, you go from $160 up to, oh, $500 an hour. You know what your hot dogs and hamburgers are going to be, folks? You're going to put those businesses out of business, which I think a lot of the people on the left want to do. They want everything to crash so they can come in and go, hey, I told you socialism, communism was the way. A $50 minimum wage will do nothing but further kill the economy and take jobs away from those people who are mostly going to be minorities and unskilled. And maybe that's exactly what Ms. Lee wants. A $50 an hour minimum wage federally. I mean, I can only imagine the places, like you said, out in the middle of Wyoming. Right now, they're paying somebody $7.25 to work the counter to take your money when you come in and buy a hot dog. They want to raise that to $50 from seven and a quarter. It's not going to happen. Don't get me wrong. It's very much the same reason 
that the impeachment of Alejandro Mayorkas was a waste of time. But this shows you the mentality of a lot of these people. And while people deserve a living wage because it's so expensive to live in this area, well, why is it that expensive to live in that area? Why are people in Wyoming? I mean, I keep pointing out to Wyoming for some reason, but why are things less expensive there? Why can people live on much less than they can in California? What have you screwed up, California? What have you screwed up, Chicago? What have you screwed up, New York? Well, there's a lot that New York, to be fair, has screwed up. And there was a special election. Most people that have been following politics know at least somewhat the story of George Santos, the Republican that won a House seat in New York that was a total con artist. That was not who he said he was and had to be thrown out. So we needed a special election. And it came down to the special election was between a guy named Tom Suezzi and a woman named Mozzie Pillup. Now, the thing you need to remember here is that Swazi, who's the one that won, the Democrat, had filled that seat in the past. And what you're seeing now on the typical news junk sites, well, this may be the first domino to fall and the Republicans hopes to win the president. You know, and this is, all being pushed like this is a wake-up call for the Republicans because they're losing the seat. Where this seat had been Democrat for a long time, the only reason why, if we go back to 2020, this is the best way to explain it, I think. Santos, who won in 2022, ran against Swizzy back in 2020 and was beaten fairly easily. 55.9% of the vote went to Swazi and 43.5% of the vote went to Santos. So, you know, 13 points or so. Now, in 2022, the reason that Santos won wasn't because people started being anti-Swazi, no. Swazi went to go try to be governor of New York, so he didn't run for re-election. Santos beat the other Democrat that nobody knew, I guess, that uh, ran against him. So he took that race. But when you come to what happened this year, Swazi beat the Republican challenger 53.9 to 46.1, which means that level that... uh separates the two candidates got a heck of a lot closer so it's showing that the while the democrat won they still got less votes than they normally would have so it is not a huge thing now if, if swazi would have come in here and got 100 percent of the vote then maybe you can say something but this was an unknown woman mazi pillup that put up a pretty good fight 53.9 to 46.1 but the way the media is covering it is like, well, this was a big, big win. And it's like, no, it was expected. It was very much expected because this was a guy who had already served. And Swazi, both of these people 
both of the candidates were on Bill O'Reilly's show. So I will give them credit, both of them up for having a interview with somebody that's going to ask tough questions. They both did pretty well. And Swazi is not a far left loon like a lot of the people in the Democrat Party. So we'll see what he does. We'll see how he votes moving forward. But that house is getting closer and closer and closer. But New York is in disarray. Eric Adams now saying we're out of room. And we're seeing fully just how dangerous it is being a sanctuary city in today's world. This from a Fox News article, Mayor Eric Adams stressed with a sense of urgency that New York City has run out of room as the escalating migrant crisis engulfs not only the Big Apple, but other major cities across the U.S. Quote, our hearts are endless, but our resources are not, end quote. He also said it's unfair to New Yorkers and unfair to the immigrants. And I don't disagree with that, but this is what happens when you're a sanctuary city and you are unable to control what's going on in your city. Back in the 1980s, New York enabled a right to shelter rule, which means that They're legally required. If somebody wants to be housed, they have to house them, which is great when you have an influx of people that overruns the amount of space you have to put them in housing. It's absolutely amazing that the people running these cities are still like, no, no, no. I would still want to be a sanctuary city. When he did an interview with Fox 5 in New York's Rosanna Scotto, the mayor said that, quote, we're not just saying we're out of room as a soundbite. We're out of room. Literally, people are going to be eventually sleeping on the streets. When he was asked, what would it take for you to finally close the front door? He replied that he doesn't have the authority to tell people that they can't come in. And because of the sanctuary city, the law states, he says, we cannot notify ICE. I cannot break the law and enforce the law. I can't deport. I can't stop people from coming in. Repeated criminal behavior. I can't report to ICE for deportation. So there's certain things I can't do. Now, this again, an exact quote from the mayor of New York is, I cannot break the law and enforce the law. This is entirely insane. He did add one interesting thing. Mayor Adams, that is, saying, quote, we stated it wasn't meant to be for migrants and asylum seekers. This is the shelter rule. So he's saying this wasn't meant to be for those people. What are they going to do about it? It's going to be very interesting. This just shows why it's very easy to make these laws, to make these plans and be like, well, we're going to be a sanctuary city. Do you not realize what you're doing? I mean, it's a great virtue signal, but then when millions of people show up, well, really, it doesn't even take millions. It seems just a few thousand. 
even for a city the size of New York, a few thousand people show up and like, we are overwhelmed. We have no place to put them. And you ask them, but you're still a sanctuary city? Oh, yeah, we love being a sanctuary city. It makes absolutely no sense to be a nation of law and order, to have cities that the mayor will tell you, well, yeah, we know. We, we know we have uh, illegal immigrants coming in. Yeah, I mean, a lot of them are gang members, you know, in their 20s, males, you know, and they're committing crimes. And we know they're doing it again and again. I mean, they're raping people. They're killing people. There was just a shooting on the subway in New York between gang members and people died. Well, you know, we know that they're doing all these things, but we're a sanctuary city, so we can't go against our laws and give these people over to ICE so we can get rid of them, but we can't control what's going on and we have no place to put them but our laws say that we really can't do anything well mayor adams the end result then is you are screwed because of your own laws and maybe maybe sanity will find some way to return in new york and the laws will get changed because everybody in new york is suffering because of this everybody is paying a bill that they shouldn't have to pay and they are in danger and it's the same in chicago and it's the same in los angeles and it's the same in other sanctuary cities all run by democrats it seems throughout the united states you cannot have a policy of not enforcing the law in a nation that is built on law in order and the final story that i have also once again shows why the news aggregator off the press.com is fairly useless i still go there and look at the headlines and then i have to go do the research if it seems that anything that is talked about there posted there is of interest you have to then go find legitimate sources for it Let me know if you can tell what they missed here. This is a story that was posted today on Off the Press Headline. Man credited with inventing the Pop-Tart dies at 96. The article, quote, The world recently bid farewell to an iconic inventor, the mastermind behind one of America's favorite breakfast treats, the Pop-Tart. At the age of 96, this innovative creator passed away leaving behind a legacy that has become a staple in households nationwide. Invented in the 1960s, the Pop-Tart emerged as a revolutionary product combining convenience with taste in a way that had never been seen before. Its inception marked a significant moment in the food industry, introducing a quick and easy breakfast option that appealed to children and adults alike. The inventor's contribution to the culinary world cannot be understated. His creation went beyond just a food item. It was a cultural phenomenon that transcended generations. The Pop-Tart appealed to the bustling lifestyles of American families offering a quick solution to the morning rush without compromising on flavors. Throughout his lifetime, the inventor witnessed the evolution of his creation as the Pop-Tart continued to adapt and thrive in the changing gastronomical landscape. What began as a simple strawberry-filled pastry expanded into a vast array of flavors and varieties each finding its own fan base. Despite reaching the impressive age of 96, the loss of the inventor has been felt deeply across the nation. Tributes have poured in from all corners, highlighting not just the impact of the Pop-Tart, but also the legacy of a man whose 
innovation brought joy to millions of breakfast tables. As we remember him, it's clear that his invention was more than just a convenient breakfast option. It was a testament to the power of creativity and the lasting impact of introducing something truly innovative to the market. The inventor of the Pop-Tart will be missed, but his legacy will continue to live on in every foil-wrapped treat that brings a smile to someone's morning. End quote. So what did the AI here, who obviously wrote this story, and now I am completely convinced that no real people read these damn things. What did they miss, everybody? Yeah, they don't even mention his name. They don't even tell you who this was. This is absolute garbage reporting. And it's not really reporting. I get it. It's an AI that's looking for news and then rewriting it in a way that won't get them sued. And because of that, you miss out on all the details. The man's name was Bill Post. He was from Grand Rapids, Michigan, just up the road from here. Credited with inventing the Pop-Tart, yes. But he has said throughout his life, quote, I assembled an amazing team that developed Kellogg's concept of a shelf-stable to toaster pastry into a fine product that we can bring to market in the span of just four months, end quote. Other readings showed he was a humble guy, accomplished a lot, was married to his wife for 72 years until she passed away in 2020. And the Pop-Tart, yeah, I don't know. Everybody listening, I'm guessing, I would be surprised if anybody listening out there has not had a Pop-Tart at one point in their life. And to go from concept to product within four months, especially, I think, back in the 1960s, was a pretty impressive feat. And yeah, I don't think anybody out there, again, doesn't know what a Pop-Tart is, didn't have one. So thank you, Bill Post, for the deliciousness, if not healthiest treat in the world. There's no question his impact on the world will live on for a long, long time, even if the AI can't be bothered to give us his name. Always do your own homework, look deeper into the story, or at the very least, listen to the Random Thoughts podcast where we can provide that as a service for you. The Random Thoughts podcast is a value for value proposition, which means I put them out there. They're not behind a paywall. You get to listen to them. And if you've gotten any value out of what you've heard here, you can decide to take part in the value for value model, which means you put a number on it. You go over to random thoughts, R-A-N-D-U-M-B thoughts.com slash donate. You click that donate button. You do a one-time or monthly donation through PayPal. You can use the QR codes or wallet addresses if you want to do the crypto thing. There's a P.O. box. We are on Patreon. If you're in the podcasting 2.0 ecosystem, you can boost us and send a boostagram. Go to newpodcastapps.com for more information about that. It's all very much appreciated, as is the support we get when you talk about the show on social media, put links, turn people on to what we're doing here. It is all very much appreciated. We do have a few people to thank for monetarily supporting today's show. And I had to do math to figure out who was going to win the number one slot today because our buddy Dale Jr. came in with a 20,000 Satoshi boost. And then he was boosting 100 Satoshis per minute while listening, which I think put him just eked him right to the top of the board. About eleven eighty-seven or so. I mean, Bitcoin goes up and down. I mean, it's either, that could be a hundred dollars by tomorrow or a buck. But right now, it's about twelve bucks. 
And he says, quote, the chances of ever seeing anything of value on ABC are out the window. Nothing better than forcing people into positions they are unqualified for or don't want. No better way to instill confidence in someone than to tell them they're getting a job because they fill a quota, end quote. Yes, I talked on the last episode about the ABC slash Disney inclusion standards that had been going around. Elon Musk, one of them that posted that on to X talking about, well, for a project to get made. And I had brought this story years ago when there was a quote from the woman who ran the programming at Disney slash ABC which was like, hey, if you want to get a product made, you better have these diversity quotients filled. Otherwise, it's not going to happen, which is why a lot of the entertainment today is just unwatchable. So thank you, Dale Jr. It is very much appreciated, both for the comment and for the Satoshis. Our friend Dame Slamey was so close to being number one. She came in with 1111, which is a very lucky number. So thank you, Dame Slamey. And she had a note that said, hey, Darren, Valentine's Day is a scam, a psyop. Happy birthday to your dad, Dame Slamey. Well, thank you. I'm sure he will appreciate that. We were talking about my dad's birthday being on Valentine's Day over on the Planet Rage show that I do with Larry Blydener every Monday, 1 p.m. Central, live on the Mighty No Agenda stream. Or you could just put Planet Rage into your favorite podcasting app. And I mentioned that my dad having a birthday on Valentine's Day was great because it was always an excuse not to have to take the wife out for an expensive Valentine's dinner. It was absolutely perfect. And tonight, we're going over there for his birthday, and he wants White Castle. So it's like, yes, this is the ultimate Valentine's Day, White Castles. But the Valentine's Day thing, yeah, it's a scam. And it's meant to sell flowers and it's meant to sell chocolate. And I guess it's meant to sell Lego because now Lego makes roses. But the beautiful thing is they never die. So you don't have to keep buying them. You just have to buy them once. I mean, they're plastic and they're not biodegradable. So they're probably not very green, but I don't care about that. And I just went with a completely different concept when it came to Valentine's Day. Dale Earnhardt Jr was talking on his latest Ask Junior segment about uh, how when he won his first championship, he's like, this is good advice for people with all sorts of questions about how to handle things. Because somebody wrote into him that, hey, I've been going out with a girl for like four months, I believe it was. It's our first Valentine's Day together. What should I do? Should I go big? Should we kind of go low key? How should I handle this? And Dale Earnhardt Jr. said, well, my dad wasn't big for giving a whole lot of advice, but when I won my first championship, he sat down. He's like, well, this means now you're going to have to give all of these people that work on your crew bonuses because you won. And he's like, how much do you want to give each one? And Junior's like, oh, I want to give my crew chief this much and give this guy this much. He's like, I was in a good mood. I'm like, give a lot of money. This is awesome. We won the championship. He said, my dad looked at me and he's like, well, you know, the bonuses are only going to get bigger every year. You can't go down with bonuses. You can't give somebody, say, a $1,000 bonus this year 
and that bonus next year be 500. It's like the bonuses always have to ramp up. So if you're going to have a 20 year career, you have to remember that. And you want to, we want them to ramp up. So you want to start kind of on the low end and you want to ramp those up. I went the total opposite way. The first Valentine's Day that I had with my wife back in 1988, we went to the top of the John Hancock Center. Nice, fancy dinner overlooking the beautiful city of Chicago that wasn't completely filled with crime yet in 1988. You didn't feel like you were going to get mugged going downtown. Did that in 1988, never went back. It's all been downhill since. So I went the opposite way. Man, I started big and then I coasted down that hill. But overall, it's worked out. So I guess I found uh, the right woman and there have been no complaints. And thanks, Dad, for having a Valentine's birthday because it's the perfect excuse. Like, ah, we don't want to go out. We don't want to go out to dinner. No, no, this is more important. So it's all worked out, I think. That helped Dame Slamey to get rid of the PSYOP that is Valentine's Day, that is a made-up holiday. You can have a romantic day anytime. You don't have to listen to the candy or the Hallmark industry, whoever is pushing the particular holiday, and you'll be a lot happier. Don't give in to the stress. That's the main thing. Moving on to Speedy Bubble, who came in with one, two, three, four, five in Satoshis. It's about $6.40 or so in American money says, quote, if Disney does what they are saying with their inclusion standards, straight white men will be the most underrepresented group based on the U.S. population, end quote. Exactly. And you know that's exactly what they're trying to do because they're like, oh, no, no, no. The straight white guys, they've been doing too much for too long. We got to take them completely out now to make things fair. No, that's not how you make things fair. You make things fair by making things fair, by bringing other people up by encouraging other people to do the same jobs. But to me, I always kind of go and point back to the NBA. If you're going to have these kind of inclusion standards, you better have them in the NBA, which means really only 15 to 20%. If you're based upon the American population, I mean, if you have over 20% black guys on a team in the NBA, you are racist. You are racist. No, we can't go by who's the best at whatever. Just because white guys might be better at hockey and black guys may be better at basketball. Who cares? Do what you love. Do what you're good at. I was going to say, you don't see a lot of Asian guys in NASCAR, but I mean, that would just be a really bad joke. But it's true. Anonymous coming in with 2222 says no such thing is too short of a gap between episodes. No podcaster has ever hurt my feelings by publishing a shorter than normal episode. Get well soon. Well, thank you, Anonymous. I was having the migraines last week. Had them again this week. Had two of them on the same day, which was an oddity. So I don't know. Things can change. Weird little things in your body. And I was taking the same dose of magnesium but they were out of the tablets that I had been taking. And it was still the mag ox, the magnesium oxide, same dose from the same company, but it was in a gel cap rather than a tablet. Was that the difference? I don't know. Going back to the tablets really quickly though. So we'll see any weird little change can happen and the migraines will show up. I mean, I'm lucky 
because I've never had the ice pick in my brain kind of pain from the migraines, but I can't really read when the oral things going on, the A-U-R-A-L, seeing little flashing lights, uh, only seeing parts of objects. It's a whole lot of fun. And when I had one on Monday of this week at about 11 a.m. and then had another one about 8 p.m., I'm like, wow, something's different. So we'll see how it goes. Hopefully they've had their little, because there are cluster migraines. So I mean, it's possible. I had just never experienced that before. But let's hope that the uh, going back to the magnesium capsule will help. And thank you for supporting the show, Anonymous. Thank you, Sir Sean of the Allegheny Valley, for streaming those Satoshis while listening to the show. It is very much appreciated. Everybody who has helped support the show, it is appreciated. I know it's a small podcast. There's a lot of things you can be doing with your time. I enjoy doing it, and I hope that you get some value I hope that you hear something on the show that you didn't hear anywhere else, a different perspective where you go, wow, yeah, the the media or whoever, the social media, people are leading you in a wrong direction. Sometimes they're doing it intentionally. Sometimes they're just ignorant. So always do your homework and look a little bit deeper for what's going on. But since you're spending your time here, I will say I appreciate you. And I plan on doing another show come next Wednesday. And I'm, every time I say that now, I feel like that's going to cause a migraine or something to happen. I should knock on wood, but that's even worse. Don't want to be superstitious, but I plan on talking to you again next Wednesday. Thank you for listening. Until next time, I am Darren O'Neill. Thanks for listening. <laughs>